The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? You are listening to The Bird Rights here on Nothing But Net Network on Dash Radio. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes right now, search The Bird Rights, and subscribe today. Welcome to what promises to be a very depressing podcast here on The Bird Calls. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, and I have lethargy fatigue, and you should too. Let's be miserable together. This, of course, is the subject to today's article on thebirdrights.com, posted by the Kevin Berrios. Kevin, have you recovered yet? Yeah, you know, I, uh, if, if you saw, I mentioned in there that I was invited to go see some Jello wrestling. Well, the person who invited me came over after, so things got much better. <laughs> Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Yeah, it looks like you spent <laughs> like a good hour writing this recap. Are you sure it wasn't one o'clock in the morning when you went over to watch this Jello wrestling exhibition? I stayed home. It came to me. Oh, that worked out nicely. Uh, yes. You guys, <laughs> uh, be sure to check out Kevin's article where he gives meaning to the term diarrhea casserole, which uh, in itself is worth a read alone. And of course, Ali Cosell, who's typically our guest on uh, this roundtable discussion with Kevin, uh, was so disappointed in what he saw. I'm not going to tell you aloud what he uh, wrote to Kevin and I via direct messages last night, but let's just say it was apocalyptic. So in his place will be David Grubb of Crescent City sports what's up dude man i'm always glad to be here with you it's always fun we're glad to have you because if kevin and i just went back and forth with uh this this agony and despair i think it would get old pretty quickly you're gonna spice things up for us and you know what guys usually i have like planned out a script and of course there's the usual talking points you know who to blame three guard lineups alvin gentry should we fire him uh what's going on with boogie what's going on with ad uh but you know what i'm just gonna dive into the mailbag first because these fans like kind of uh sum up in in a really grandiose way how everybody's feeling just this 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 a magnitude of despair, this frustration, the let's get out of here. Let's find a, a Michael McNamara was posting stuff all over Twitter about how it's time to find a new team to root for. Just hilarious <laughs> stuff, although I, I know that he's absolutely sincere uh, about it. But let's start with you, Kevin. This question is from Eagles 2001. We're starting off with a bang. Is there any hope for this defense? I mean, you have to say that the hope comes with Solomon Hill getting back in a little bit. I mean, I'm not expecting a 100% turnaround, and obviously he's going to take some time to adjust. But we haven't had a perimeter defender besides Drew Holiday on this team yet. I mean, Etwan Morris regressed a little bit, I feel, on that side. Um, he, I mean, he always is going to be guarding a guy that's bigger than him for most of the game. And He's not uh, a really laterally quick player for all the good things that he does. Um, the, he obviously has weaknesses, and um, that's one of them. So, I mean, we saw last night with Wiggins abusing him down in the post. He just couldn't – he couldn't uh, – he can't guard somebody that big, you know. So having another player like Hill who is a good perimeter defender 
out there is going to help because a lot of our problems come from not being able to stay in front of cutters um, and, and people getting to the basket. So I think that's one thing to look at. And also, you know, if Tony Allen gets some kind of semblance of what he could be, I mean, he looked pretty bad before going out. He wasn't the defensive guy that we were used to seeing, but I mean, he's, he's getting up in age and we can expect the regression, but if we can at least, uh, get, you know, five to seven good minutes of defense out of them a game going forward, then, yeah, there's things to look at where we can improve. But also, if just somebody could light a fire under the players, we'd take a step forward because you're seeing lazy defensive rotations. You're seeing people not boxing out, giving up second-chance points. Um, so, you know, there's effort thing, and that's something tangible that seems like you should be able to fix but they haven't fixed it for whatever reason. They can't bring that consistency every week in effort. So, you know, who do you blame for that? People want to debate over that. Is it coaching? Is it players? It's both. And um, it's not necessarily the coach's job to make a grown person be prepared and energized and engaged and do their job every day. But let's face it, we all fade and we all slip. And having a person that can speak to you the right way and that inspires you personally, it would help and benefit. And I guess Alvin Gentry isn't that. Um, I mean, I, I've never been a fan of Alvin Gentry. So, like, it's not like I'm jumping on this fire train. I just never wanted him here to begin with. I remember the day he was, when I read that he was asked to be, uh, to come interview for the job, I let out a groan at my computer. I was like, Ugh. And, and then I think anytime anybody asked me who you want to be the coach, I'd be like anybody but Alvin Gentry. And then of course we hired Alvin Gentry. Um, so I, I think it's definitely a combination of both and both are accountable for it. Um, I'm going to let David jump in, I guess, because I'm just going to keep, rambling on the same kind of negativeness about the effort if I don't stop myself. All right. I, I'll, 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 uh, sorry, go ahead, uh, David. I'm, I'm just going to say really quickly with, uh, with talking about having Solomon Hill and Tony Allen back, it's it very similar to the vein of having Quincy Pondexter two or three years ago when he came in and, and he kind of was the, the leader on the floor that Pelicans were so sorely locking, not just defensively, but a great communicator firing everybody up, bringing intensity every time on the floor. And the Pelicans don't have that. And that's something firing Al, Alvin Gentry is not going to change is you don't have a guy who plays well for the Pelicans. And Tony Allen certainly didn't play well, but he fought every second he was on the floor how who can anyone step up and be that leader David I think that's the question you have to ask about this franchise as a whole is who is the leader and we talked about this a little bit before but uh, uh, I do believe it's time to start questioning Anthony Davis's leadership abilities as a player Um, what control does he have within the locker room and within the organization Uh, whose team are uh, who are they going to model themselves after is this about DeMarcus is this about Rondo? Is this about Anthony? You know, who, what's the identity of this team? And you still, you know, you, you, you seem to have an identity offensively, but not really, because though they can score a lot of points, we know that they struggle in the half court, especially um, late in late game situations. So they haven't established themselves as a team that can close. And then defensively, there's not a single player in the rotation this year that's met their defensive numbers from last year. So you look at a guy like DeMarcus Cousins, who's never played on a defense that's been better than 20th in the league. And you can say that, well, he had bad teammates before, but the Kings are a better defensive team this year than they were last year with him. The Pelicans are worst defensive uh, team since he arrived in New Orleans. Um, his numbers would put him in the, the lower tier of starting centers in the league. And, and then you look at the regression with Anthony Davis's defense. You look at Drew Holiday's defense has regressed. And, of course, you look at a guy like Etuan Moore, who, as we've said, is playing out of position um, at the small forward spot. And from a night-to-night basis, he's getting beat up by larger players on the defensive end. And when you look at guys as um, – you know, you go deeper into the advanced stats and you look for things that confirm what you're, see- what you're seeing – and the value over replacement players. Most of these guys are no better than just putting in an average player in the league. The only two guys who appear in the top 20 are, of course, Cousins and Davis. And their positions relative to last year, Davis has come backwards while Cousins has kind of ascended a bit, um, even though Anthony's been more efficient. So what you're seeing is that this is a mediocre team 
They're at 500, which is what they should be. Because even if you go by the the, the best guesses based on their offensive and de- defensive stats, they should maybe be one game better or maybe be one game worse. This is what they are as a franchise. They're a 500 franchise. And with the prospects of five guys leaving as free agents uh, at the end of this season and not a lot out there in the positions that they need most in free agency at point guard and at backup big, uh, you wonder. I think, I mean, this may be the only year you get to see this group. And I think that's probably a good thing. Uh, but what's the long-term plan after that? Uh, I'm going to throw this over to Kevin. Uh, analogy that uh, you can either agree or disagree with, but basically a, a lot of national media types like to like to imagine a world in which Darko Milicic is not the second overall pick by the Detroit Pistons. Uh, I can't remember what year it was. I, I want to say 2007. Uh, and instead, Carmelo Anthony goes into that available slot, and Carmelo gets to learn from the guys like Tayshaun Prince and, and Ben Wallace and Chauncey Willups. Uh, sorry. Every time I open up this this goddamn ESPN box score thing, it auto plays these videos and it drives me absolutely bonkers. So I don't know if I'm going to use ESPN anymore just to go off topic. It's so distracting. I'm glad you guys can't hear it. But uh, what what I'm basically boiling this down to, Kevin, for you is, you know, Anthony Davis, let's say San Antonio by some miracle acquires a draft pick that that ends up, you know, first overall the year that Anthony Davis is drafted. I want to say 2012. And, and he learns the right way from Greg Popovich is Anthony Davis a better player and a better leader than he would have been uh, via being drafted by the New Orleans Pelicans? I mean, I think that's that's always an interesting conversation, and I do agree that sometimes uh, the situation you get drafted into um, affects the player you become, and possibly possibly the man you become. I guess, um, but I mean, I feel like when Anthony Davis came in, we were get, we got like a hard worker a guy who led by example, wasn't outspoken. I don't think, I don't think even if he went to like a a Spurs organization that he would be like an outspoken vocal leader or anything like that. I mean, look at Kawhi Leonard. I I think they kind of have a a similar, it's different, but it like Anthony Davis has like the friendly side of, of Kawhi's like killer instinct. I'm going to lead by example and not, and not through uh, voice or be vocal or really have this kind of personality that I put out there in the media. You know, they're more, um, I think Anthony Davis is more goofy and Kawhi Leonard is more serious, I guess. But um, so I don't think you would have ever gotten like this big rah-rah guy or anything out of him, no matter where he went. It's just in his DNA. Um, so that that had always been a question. I mean, you look at the roster that he came into, that was, you know, I mean, it was a bad team. There, there was not uh, many good players or leaders on there. Then he, I guess, you know, they brought in John Salmons after a while to be sort of the locker room leader. And I, mean, I don't think anybody really bought into much of what he, he had. Then it was Kendrick Perkins. So, that, you know, there was never really like a veteran like that, earned a whole lot of respect I think in that locker room and I think there was a lot of guys that weren't that engaged um like you would see in in uh, those successful dynamic teams like like the that Pistons team or you know those those kind of hard-working teams so it definitely has some effect on them but I never like questioned his effort the whole time he was here until maybe about the middle of last year we started to see him or really a lot of last season he sort of drifted through and I, I, at first I was sort of thinking he didn't really like the style of play of being pushed out to the perimeter and not playing against, you know, not playing with his strengths. And then, you know, again, um, maybe he also grew frustrated with having to play center and they can never find him a center and things just faded. But then we got DeMarcus Cousins and there was like a bit of energy for a while. And then now we're back to like this lethargic AD for a lot of the time. I mean, we get those fiery games from him like we used to in his younger days. But I just, I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's uh, the situation we're in. He's really tired of losing. If he doesn't like the style of play we're playing. Um, If there's something going on in his personal life. And also, I mean, this stretch lately of lethargic Anthony Davis could also just stem from, is he fully recovered from his groin injury? I mean, he's, He's settling for mid-range, mildly contested jumpers, step-back jumpers, instead of getting to the rim. So is that just, I don't want to put out the energy 
it takes to get to the rim or is it just harder for me right now because I don't have the explosion that I'm used to. And that could be one thing. Um, but the, but even before the injury, inner, uh, injury that was wa- uh, wavering in his energy. And that was, uh, you know, that's something that should be questioned. We do see him not play with uh, fire all of the time. Um, so I don't really know. I think it'd be a combination of a lot of things, but I don't know how to solve that either. No, it's it's definitely got to be more a mental problem at this point than physical. I'm going to let David go on for a while, but Ali put up some great videos on Twitter last night of uh, Anthony Davis just having the the absence of awareness, specifically in the paint and at the three point line, just not not taking note of his surroundings, just ball watching, forgetting about the defender slipping behind him for the easy bucket, for the easy dunk, for the easy putback, for the easy uh, offensive rebound, and offensively. I know what you're talking about with these, uh, and and you posted about it in depth on Twitter last night as well, him resigning himself to these 20-foot step-back baseline contested jumpers rather than driving towards the hoop. But even if he doesn't want to drive towards the hoop, some of these shots came with a lot of time left on the shot clock. Uh, The one that I'm specifically thinking of where he just held the ball and he just threw it up, there were 10 seconds left on the shot clock. David, what is going on psychologically with Anthony Davis? Uh, like Kevin said, the the fire is gone. The awareness is gone. It's almost like he's sleepwalking. Well, there's three things that I like to look at when I look at any player. One is I, I do look at their backgrounds. And we have to remember that Anthony Davis came up from a very bad high school program where he was the best player, but he stayed with that program because he was one of the guys. Then you go to Kentucky, and he, while he was the most talented player on that team, he was not the guy. He was asked to defend and rebound primarily. When he gets to the Pelicans as a number one overall pick, the ex- expectations are much different. And like you said, there, there's never been a real veteran presence um, of someone who could lead him and show him what it means to A, be both a professional and what it means to lead a team. Uh, so now you look at this stage in his career where his game is better but not really better the areas where he need like he's added the three-point shot he's extended his range but for a guy who's dealt with the physical injuries that he has he has not developed a post game which mitigates the need to settle for jumpers he doesn't have to live on the block anthony's a very slight guy we know he doesn't like to take the pounding but to have a, a a turnaround hook that you can go to to have an up and under that you can rely on he doesn't have either one of those things really or if he does have them he doesn't utilize them so You add that all on top of what appears to be um, uh, a very lethargic attitude on defense right now. And it also seems like he's deferring a lot to DeMarcus offensively. He's taking fewer shots. And of course, that was going to happen as Drew and DeMarcus's shots increased. But it's like the quality of the shots that Anthony's getting, the position that he's getting the ball. uh, And then you also look at the fact that he'll go long stretches without demanding the basketball over the course of a game. So I don't think he has the personality to go out and say those things to be like, he's, like uh, Kevin said, to be a rah-rah guy, to be a guy who fires people up. Um, but at some point, if you want the, the responsibilities and of, of a franchise player and you're going to tell people that winning is all that matters to you, what are you willing to put on the line to do that? And we've seen Anthony give effort, but have we seen the very best or are we seeing him peak out? at this stage of his career is, is the, have we seen his best season already? Um, and that was about two years ago. Um, I don't know, but it feels like the Anthony Davis we're getting now is no longer um, on this, on the trend to be a transcendent player. He's on the wave to be a very good player, probably, you know, probably a hall of fame player, but you're looking around at guys throughout the league who are his same age and relatively same skill set, And you feel like their upside now is greater than where Anthony's was a couple of years ago. Now, before we kill Anthony, I want to say that we're, we're mentioning him, we're harping on him because we we do appreciate him and think he's one of the five best players in the world. He certainly has the talent to be the best player in the world if he ever puts it all together. And offensively, he's enjoying the best uh, year of his career. I haven't given you guys a lot of numbers, but right now he's at 36% from three-point on the most shots he's ever taken, uh, which is just two, but at 36%, well above his uh, career high of 32% in 2015. He's shooting 58% from the floor. His Efficiency is about six tenths better than it's at least half a percentage better than it's ever been before. So he is playing great on that 
side of the floor, although the numbers are inflated by the month of December. Um, I want to move on a bit. First, I'm just going to give you guys some numbers. I didn't give you guys any numbers at all today. This is the sixth time this year the Pels have fallen behind by 15 in the first half. Since being the best three-point shooting team following that Nets game, they've gone 34 for 116, good for 29%. They were out-rebounded 47 to 38. The Wolves, of course, scored 60 points in the paint and 69 points in the first half. Uh, although they've been inconsistent throughout the year, Kevin, um, and I'm, I'm going to transition this to Alvin Gentry. This this was certainly, in my opinion, the worst output of performance and energy we've seen from them so far this season. The the, the first game where I felt like they honestly just did not give an F. And, and, and throughout the game, there was never really a charge with the uh, maybe DeMarcus Cousins had the best on-off numbers, but but even he, it, it looked from the team as a whole as these guys just just didn't care. They they didn't need the the win. They didn't feel like they wanted the win. And this all boils down to the big conversation that's happening on Twitter: is is what can you change? What can you do to make these guys buy in? Is it is it possible to go out and and trade for a leader to to potentially do some kind of swap like DeMarcus Cousins for DeAndre Jordan? That's just off the top of my head. Obviously, it's not logistical. Um, but the, the the easier thing to do, Kevin, is just to, to fire Alvin Gentry. And let me make sure I got Jacob Vicare's question down right. Uh, he just says, why hasn't Alvin Gentry been fired yet? Don't get me wrong. I'm a diehard, but I think that what pisses me off the most, I know what our big three could do in the NBA, but our GM and our coach fail them every time. And we're going to cover Dell Demps. Let's just stick to Alvin Gentry. I don't think he's the problem, Kevin. I, I know your history with Alvin Gentry and what you mentioned earlier, but but whether he's a good coach or not does does not translate to what we saw on the floor last night. What we saw on the floor last night was a team that just hadn't bought in. And and whether that's something that goes on in the locker room, you've still got Darren Ehrman, you've got Chris Finch, you've got Jamel McMillan, you've got well-respected guys who have a lot of clout in this league, and they still don't want to play for any of those guys, Alvin Gentry included. Kevin, do you do you think that the right course of action, regardless of whose fault any of this is, is to fire Alvin Gentry? Um, I mean, that's a hard question for me to answer, just because, like I've always said, I never, I never really valued what Alvin Gentry brought to this team. I never wanted him to be on this team. So, of course, like I think we have, we could get better if we didn't have him. I think at best he's an average coach. And look, granted. Coaching doesn't make as big of an impact in the NBA as it does in the NFL or whatever. It maybe swings you a game, a couple games here or there. Um, but I think at best he's that average coach that doesn't really affect things. At worst, he he's a he's a bad coach, and I don't necessarily think that he's like a bad coach, but I think he's the worst coach for what we have here because. You know, I get I get frustrated when I see a lot of other like bloggers or whatever uh, tweet out like sort of in an insulting way to the to the uh, to the fan base. Like, oh, yeah, you Alvin Gentry makes the bigs play out on the perimeter. You know, like I, I know so much more than you fans are stupid for questioning the coach for this. There's no way that a coach is telling him to do this, whatever. I just really hate that take, because if you actually break it down, Alvin Gentry stressed for Anthony Davis to start playing on the perimeter last year. He had Anthony Davis playing away from the basket. He, he, he had one of the most athletic big men uh, in the league and he didn't want him chasing offensive rebounds. He wanted to play uh, transition defense when the defense overall was terrible, right? Even if the transition defense was number nine at the time, I think it was when we, I had this debate with somebody else. And but the overall defense was like 27th or 28th. So how much was that really helping your defense when you could? Uh, I mean, sorry, this is the yeah yeah. So how, how much could this really help your uh, your defense if you're um, if you could get offensive rebounds and putbacks? You could trade those off. And I didn't understand that philosophy to begin with. I think he's like a guy who votes against his own best interest when he has these two big man and he doesn't create a scheme that that works off a pick and roll or a high low game with boogie in the post and ad cutting things like that now i understand they have a free flow offense and that's part of the problem because you have a, a guy like demarcus cousins who is an incredible player when he plays inside and he's a good player when he plays outside but he could be a total dominant monster if he plays in the paint but he has this tendency 
which some people have because having guard skills and playing on the perimeter is sexier to want to show that I can do this too. And they focus too much on that. And, and, and DeMarcus Cousins has that tendency naturally to want to do that. So if you're, if you're saying, hey, let's just read and react and play, and I'm not calling plays that are getting you in the post or using you as a pick-and-roll man, then that's allowing you to, to play into your bad habits. Now, I also think that Gentry likes that those guys play out on the perimeter because I think it's a little bit like the problems that we used to see with Sean Payton where he would want to uh, have this prolific passing offense and he would ignore the run or he, like for years, my friends and I would be screaming it's third and one. Why are we empty backfield? Like, even if you're going to pass the ball, why not have a running back back there to make it seem like you might run on third and one, which you probably should do most of the time anyway. Um, but it was like, they, they thought they could have this incredible offense and they had these numbers that proved it. And analytically, if we look at the Pelicans offense, you know, it looks great. The, the numbers are there to back it up, but it's a lot of empty calories because it's not playing to the actual strength of your team. And it's not do like, it's not doing what the defense doesn't want you to do. We're do we're doing what they what the defense hopes we're doing. We're having these two guys taking jump shots. We're having, we're, we're creating shots for other players instead of our two dominant big men. Uh, or even Drew Holiday, you know, we're like trying to run plays for like, you know, to close the game the other day, like Darius Miller is a great shooter, but that play was designed for Darius Miller. And then the second option was a three from Anthony Davis, which those are your two options. I don't know. In fourth quarter, all we talk about is who you want the ball at the end of the game. You want the ball in the hands of your stars. And like we, you know, people are criticizing that people criticizing that play because they were like, oh, that play wasn't a three for Anthony Davis. No, it was a three for Darius Miller. But why not get Anthony Davis in his position of strength to bring that game to overtime at home with the bigs and, and foul trouble on the other team? You know, it's those kind of decisions that I, I just think he does take a lot of blame in the way these guys are playing. And he, he's contributing to their bad habits. And he's not he's not a disciplinarian guy. He's not like, uh, like the only coach that we know of that Marcus Cousins really liked and got along with was Mike Malone. And he's not like a yes man guy. He's a taskmaster that gives him hard love. And uh, I think, but he does it the right way. And I think that's the kind of coach that we need for the personality and the players that we have on this team. So I don't think Alvin Gentry is right for this team. Um, I don't know about firing him mid season, but Hey, that's the one change that you do control. And if you're going to, if this is if this year is a failure, as it is anyway, if we're underachieving anyway, why not see if that can light a spark? I mean, I understand that, um, and I also, but then at the same time, I'm also like, well, we can just ride this out and then not not resign them at the end of the year because they have an option. And but you know, why not create the turmoil? Maybe that will light a spark under some players. Maybe a new voice will change some things. Maybe the offense will slightly change. You know, we don't know. I mean, we saw what happened in Phoenix when they fired um, Earl Watson. They they lit a spark under that team for a little while until Devin Booker got hurt. They were winning games. Um, you know, so even a little spark when you're a team that's teetering on 500 the whole season, if you get that little spark and get a little run going, you get a little bit above 500 and we're fighting for the playoffs again, you know. Um, so I, I see it as I don't I wouldn't criticize anybody that's calling for Alvin Gentry's head because what has he done? that makes you feel like he's the right man for this job, that makes you feel like this team is playing the right way. David, uh, we don't have to worry about Mickey Loomis doing anything like firing Alvin Gentry or Del Demps at this time because we do have a lot of statistical evidence that suggests that Mickey Loomis isn't going to do anything until the Saints season has been over for at least two weeks. So we've got at least until mid-February before anything does take place. And what I'm referencing back to, and this happens every summer, you guys know as well as I do, here's the most recent comments that happened in the second week of May. And we were waiting, I think the last game of the season was April 11th. So it was about three and a half weeks before 
we heard anything. Here are the comments. He said, after careful and thorough review of basketball operations, we have made the determination that the best course of action as we move forward into the 17-18 season is to continue under the leadership of general manager Dell Demps and head coach Alvin Gentry. Of course, these are the words of executive vice president of basketball operations, Mickey Loomis, who also happens to be the general manager of the New Orleans Saints. He said, we will continue to evaluate important roles on both the administrative and coaching staff, which will be resolved at the appropriate times. And then he continues, our organizational expectations and goals have not changed. And all of our efforts are focused on putting together a playoff caliber roster entering training camp and ultimately into the season. This, These were the words by Tom Benson, by the way. He said, the end result as we move forward, playoffs and winning a championship for our fans. And here's what I'm getting at. If Alvin Gentry is fired at some point, and you would have to think that that news would come from Dell Demps, that seemingly would also in turn damn Dell Demps going forward. So it's 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 something that you you can't do one thing without doing the other. And with that being said, if if Dell Demps thereby refuses to fire Alvin Gentry, wanting the the chance for the Pelicans to go on some sort of run here, their uh, schedule does get a bit easier the end of January through the first week of March. Then the other explanation becomes well then. Let's package a couple of picks together and ship off Omar Ashik and Alexis Agensa and see if we can't jumpstart this team with a bit more energy. And then you're possibly damning yourself, uh, a la the Brooklyn Nets, for the next two to three years and setting back your rebuilding parameters back uh, even farther. So, David, something has to change. The fans are furious. Here's a couple of things Scott Kushner said. It is inexplicable how often these guys point to their lack of first half energy as the source of frustration and then routinely show up with no energy in the first half. I don't understand the entitlement at all. Last night, uh, Kevin said, I stopped hoping Demps would fire Gentry and started hoping Ali Cosell would fire me. There's so many more of these. I'm going to continue getting to them, David. But the point is something has to change something has to change fans are jumping ship the team is is a, a laughing stock to outside uh fan bases and and uh ownerships and corporations what what is your method of of getting this team to bounce back at such a crucial time we all know what this season means what what would your course of action be to get these guys winning again and and displaying effort for god's sakes well i, I think the strangest thing is that and Scott was on the line, but the, the, the real thing is that they, they seem to have a belief that there's time. And, and that is what's strange to me is that this team was built with a sense of urgency. And it, you know, during media day, Dell said it, Alvin said it, they all said that we have to do it this year. But then at the same time, Anthony Davis is saying, there's plenty of time left. We can get this right. Well, there isn't plenty of time left yet. You're, you know, 38 games into the season now so which is just about halfway and while other teams we've seen around the league are starting to come together and gel uh and figure out their identities the pelicans are still no better than they were on day one of this season um you know i think Demps and gentry are tied together no matter what uh, i don't see how you can let go of one and not evaluate the other just as harshly uh, because it seems you know the, the strange thing to me was that they built a roster for Alvin, that was probably more suited to what um, Monty Williams wanted to do. And the roster that Monty had was probably more suited to what Alvin wants to do. Uh, it's, just, it's just a very strange uh, mix of guys. And, and when Alvin got here, he said he wanted to make this team similar to Golden State. But we keep noting that Golden State is perennially top five in both offense and defense. You can't just say you're going to score like Golden State and then not defend the way they do, not have the ability to switch defenders, not have guys who are indiv individually very solid, like a Clay Thompson and obviously a Draymond Green, and even a Kevin Durant who's been playing at center um, on a number of occasions and blocking shots at a higher rate than he ever has in his career. So I think I don't know if there's any short-term fix because you don't want a hamstring if you are going to get rid of your general manager and coach. I don't see how you make a long-term investment in, in giving up draft picks um, at this point to try to make what kind of run to get to the sixth seed and lose still in the first round. Uh, um, you know, why would you put the next general manager or the next coach under those kind of restrictions when you don't know, you have no certainty on who's going to be back next year, um, whether it's on the play player side or the management side and, and what kind of team this is going to be going forward. I think you just have to ride out with what you have. If a somebody on the waiver wire becomes available or a second round draft pick, for something that you think can help, then maybe you consider it. Um, but unless you're going to give DeMarcus Cousins away, 
um, at this stretch and, and try to make a trade for him, a trade for him before the deadline, you have no other real assets to give away to get something good in return that's going to make any type of movement of the needle. Okay, there's a great article on thebirdrights.com. Uh, I just wanted to mention this before we go forward by Ali Cosell uh, saying New Orleans Pelicans bucking conventional wisdom to stay afloat in a Western Conference playoff race. And he basically does a great job of breaking down how good the Pelicans have been on the road at this point. Uh, 10 and 9, uh, much, much better. We talked last podcast with David Grubb about how the team hasn't really been effective at home as of late. But this is just another testament to how unpredictable this team is, how up and down ebb and flow that they go on a road game against the Denver Nuggets and lose by 32 and last night of course losing by 18 although of course it wasn't that close let's get to a a couple more questions before we go any further Um, and this is from Rob our our buddy and kind of our boss at nothing but net radio he's got a couple of questions but the one that I want to focus on right now is as constructed, what is this team's ceiling? And of course, we, we've talked about this in depth, Kevin, uh, being potentially a four seed, although now Minnesota's seven games on top of them. But but here's what I want to ask you. At this point in time, 19 and 19, there's, there's a very winnable 10-game stretch in front of the Pelicans right now. They've got the Pistons, the Grizzlies, the Blazers, the Knicks, the Celtics, the Hawks, the Grizzlies again, the Bulls, and the Hornets. How many of these games would you anticipate the Pelicans needing to win to keep their jobs? And should they go on a successful run? Uh, I don't know when, when let's say seven of these, how, what, what is their upside for the season? And what do you think their ceiling is? Um, the up, If you could restart the season, I would say their upside ceiling is uh, fourth, possibly fifth seed. Um, if going from now looking at, the way we're playing and what I I had predicted this earlier on in the season. Uh, I think it was a couple of pods ago. We were talking about how I, I, I pretty much assume that we're going to go 500 ball all the way to all-star break. And then after the all-star break, then we'll see what this team really is. They're either going to go on a big run or they're going to tank and lose and uh, be a total disappointment. Um, I think the ceiling right now is seventh seed um i think we're still just grappling for the eighth seed right now until we see that sense of urgency until we see um an offense that is kind of in, um empty calories be something that's uh more substantial and more effort on defense and things and you know limit our turnovers and the dumb kinds of turnovers that we can limit um we're not playing the smart way right now and uh if we can start playing smart and hard then we could we could be the seventh seed, but I don't see us getting, we dug ourselves too much of a hole to really make any noise in the rankings. But Uh, I think once they get in a playoff, you know, they'll, they'll, if they get into a playoff series, you'll see them play hard and they'll, they'll give you a good series. They may not, they may not win a game, but they'll make the games interesting. I think. Uh, David, the, the question continues. Do they, do you think they make a deadline move? And if so, who or what do they target and who would they make available? And something Kevin and Ali and I were talking about last night is, is a team who, who is a dramatic seller at this point is somebody like the Orlando Magic. And of course the Pelicans could go over there and, and get some version of Jonathan Simmons and Nikola Vucevic for Alexis Jensen and, uh, Omar Ashik, obviously that doesn't add up completely. They'd never, they'd need to throw, um, or the Pelicans would need to throw another 2 million in salary. And they'd probably have to saddle maybe a couple of first round picks in exchange for those guys. But, but my point is this, obviously the Pelicans don't want to do that with Dell Demps and Alvin Gentry, uh, potentially looming as lame duck, uh, people in the front office. That's, that's a really risky move to go through. Uh, another option is, is trading DeMarcus Cousins and just planning for the future at this point. And if Anthony Davis leaves, he leaves. Here's here's my point. Let me let me hear your side of things. The the Pels have a really great stretch of games coming up. They've got an opportunity to get back ahead of this thing. Uh, and it all culminates after a 12 game stretch with the Sacramento Kings in New Orleans on January 30th. If they can't win like eight of these next 12 games, I, th- I think you cut ties with Dems and Gentry and you see what you can do in the remaining eight days before the trade deadline. What's What's your th- thought process here, David? Yeah, at some point, especially like you said, during a softer part of the schedule, even though there are a lot of one-day breaks between games, and but it, it doesn't—it seems like it doesn't matter with the Pelicans how many days off they have between games. They're inconsistent. 
But um, yeah, during this kind of stretch, these are the ones you're supposed to make up ground on. But we thought that going into the holidays um, that they should have closed out with a five game win streak at, you know, at least um, with those games at home. So yeah, they need to win eight out of 12 here. At some point you've got to start winning two out of three ball games uh, to establish yourself as a legitimate playoff team. I don't know if they can do that. Uh, So like you said, as they get closer to the trade deadline, what are your tradable assets? Who wants what you have? Uh, and I don't think anybody wants to take on the, like you're going to have to take back bad deals to get rid of bad deals. So either you're going to over get extend with those number one picks, or you're going to have to give up better players than um, Agensa and Ashik. And if it becomes cousins, then you, you basically are deciding again for the next general manager, if that's the case or the next coach, now, what is the identity of our team? And you are firm, firmly establishing that Anthony Davis is your guy. And if that's the case, too, are you correct in that evaluation um, and knowing that Drew and Anthony are probably going to be your top two players going forward for the foreseeable future because you don't have a number one draft pick if you if you make a deal and free agents aren't flocking, uh, excuse the pun, to New Orleans? Kevin, uh, something that we haven't talked about. Well, we did briefly last night, and you guys uh, laughed me off the the Twitter uh, DM conversation. Was the the Pelicans have to make a change, and if they can't surrender picks, and if they can't fire their coach and uh, fire their GM, they they have to get a little not uh, unconventional with their thinking. And somebody who's had a really good year for the Pelicans and has a really attractive contract it is, of course, they're starting three guard, I should say right now, but he, he does close games for them. Of course, I'm talking about Etwan Moore, the best three point shooter in the league right now. He's really developed uh, defensively. I'd, I'd say he's a def- decent defender. He gives a uh, pretty good energy and, and he rotates well and he's got good feet offensively though, is where he has really taken off with his floater. He's, he's one of the best finishers for the Pelicans, if not in the conference uh, can use both hands, absolves contact and still always gets a great shot off. And here's, here's, my methodology, I guess I should say in this is you, you take one problem by taking away your, your crunch time to guard, but you possibly create a solution in somebody like, a, I don't know, a PJ Tucker or Jonathan Simmons, somebody who can start at the three for you and play some backup four minutes next to somebody like DeMarcus Cousins and, and uh, Anthony Davis and give great energy. Is, is this a, a trade ship that you're willing to explore, Kevin? Um, I'm, I'm a very big Etoine Moore been since he got here if you go back to this the offseason where we signed him i wrote like his um his team preview and and you could tell i was very excited about him you know i i loved his uh i watched a bunch of chicago tape that year and um i loved his inside game his he had an incredible floater he's he's uh last season ollie and i would go back and forth on it because i was always pro etuan and he was not so into etuan at the time but i i felt like etuan was underperforming, but I think he was kind of hurt and was sort of being marginalized as just a spot-up shooter a little bit last season. And this year we got to see more of uh, the game that we saw when he was in in Chicago. And like you said, I mean, he's leading the league in three-point shooting. We need shooting, and he does all the small things um, out there. He's, his lateral quickness is a little bit of a problem on defense, and his size is a bit of a problem uh, so, while he's playing the small forward spot. but. Um, you know, he always is engaged and is always trying. Um, and he does so many other little things that uh, I think it'd be tough to get rid of him. It would, I would have to be a move that you would see, you know, a really big upgrade. And I just don't think that you're even going to get that um, with sending Etuan out. Um, so I, I would definitely try to keep Etuan on, on this roster um, unless you get blown away. Um, one thing we could talk about too is that I mean, the Lakers did buy out Andrew Bogut, and one of our biggest weaknesses has been the backup big man. And uh, you know, if you talk about leadership and and on court stuff and championship pedigree, he brings all that. Now you have to try to convince him that he's going to be playing for a winning team, possibly possibly even a, a team that can make a run in the playoffs because other teams are going to be trying to get him as well. But, I mean, imagine, like, having a, a player like Bogut play in smaller minutes for you as a backup big. He's a guy that's, you know, one of the best facilitating centers in in uh, recent history. Um, you know, he's a good defender. He has a familiar out, uh, 
He's familiar with uh, Gentry's offense, obviously, from playing with him in Golden State. Um, and, hey, he's the guy that uh, they they tried to say they were going to make Ashik into. So, obviously, they value that kind of a player. Um, and you can get that little bit of upgrade without sacrificing uh, your future. I mean, you have to waive a player, obviously. And, you know, perhaps Dante would be the one to go since you're going to be replacing his minutes. And Darius has stepped up and can play some small ball four. Um, but another thing that I think you could just do is if obviously Gentry is not trusting Rondo much anymore. Um, and Ollie wrote that article showing his, uh, bit of a lapse on his, on the defensive end and stuff like that. Um, and I think we've seen a lot of lineups now where we can see that Drew is, uh, playing okay when he's on the ball. Some, so possibly you could, uh, you could do more lineups where you have uh, Etwan in the backcourt and Drew in the backcourt and then Darius out there uh, with uh, AD and Boogie. And, and that could solve some of the problems too because it fixes some of the size issues, um, fixes some of the defensive issues, and that uh, that offensive lineup should be powerful. Um, so those are just ways that you can make some adjustments. Um, to also, And you get also Jameer Nelson, who's been terrible, and with his size, okay. he can't defend uh you can't uh, stop penetration from the opposing team's point guard but if you had drew back there guarding the uh opponent's point guard stopping him from penetrating and prodding uh you know you could see an uptick in all those things so i don't think we're gonna make a trade uh it would be tough and then if you're gonna fire uh Dems, who's gonna be making that trade i don't know i mean is they're gonna bring in danny ferry again to make a move or who's gonna be the guy who's pulling those strings, you have to hire somebody really quickly without an interview process. Um, so, you know, those are, those are tough questions. And I, I think they're just going to ride out this season. And like I said, uh, Gentry has a team option in his contract. So they could just, even if we make the playoffs, which is what I've predicted that we'll do, we'll make the playoffs and then realize also realize that we're under underachieving with this coach. And then, sort of sell it as a retirement or he wants to take a step back and maybe he goes seeks some assistant coaching jobs again, or, you know, takes a year off or whatever and everybody saves face. And then we get to move forward. Um, I think that's what's going to happen, but I don't, I really don't see us making much. I don't think we're going to make a trade. I really don't. I just don't think if you're not confident in them switch, they might not be, um, which maybe they should not be with the way the team is performing. Uh, you know, why would you let him, again, make another trade? Um, why would you met, let these guys who are about to be fired possibly or at least are being their job status is being questioned uh, make moves in what is, you know, the, probably the most important offseason in team history so far? Well, the Pelicans uh, have to make a trade, unfortunately, as I understand, and I'll let uh, David refute me if I'm wrong on this, but the Pelicans are pressed against the dead cap and all 15 of their salaries are fully guaranteed. So even should they part ways with somebody like Jameer Nelson or Dante Cunningham, they still don't have the available uh, flexibility to bring in somebody like Andrew Bogut. Something they could do is exercise their hardship exception as long as Tony Allen is out. But even with that, they don't have the funds available should all four of them stay out for the remainder of the season to guarantee somebody for the full remaining, I want to say, 44 games. Does that sound right to you, David, or am I way off here? No, no, you're right. I mean, they are pressed right up against there. So I, I don't know how they could sign anybody, even with the release right now. But I, I mean, I would love to have a guy like Andrew Bogut. Like you said, he, he defensively, offensively, he's a great fit. And I think especially, you know, one of the things you've heard Drew, Drew Holiday talk about um, and uh, in games that you don't hear enough of was how effective Ashik was with, in setting screens for him and getting him one-on-one matchups with bigs so he could attack the rim or find jump shots that he really liked. Uh, so I think that they need a dirty work guy in, in the front court to do some of that. Dante Cunningham's not really good at that. DeMarcus and Anthony aren't really built for that either. DeMarcus is built for it, but he doesn't do it. Um, you see a lot of of, of lazy screens there. But what I would like to see, and, and talking about lineup changes, Jameer Nelson should get no minutes at this point. He doesn't bring anything to the table. And I believe, and I've said this before, that Ian Clark could be a really good combo guard for this team. I think he can p- handle the ball. His assist-to-turnover ratio is pretty good. Um, it's better. It's much better than Nelson's has been this year. He's shown the ability to get to the rim. We know he can shoot. And he's getting these spot minutes where he'll have a great game and then he's gone. 
But if you change the lineup a bit, give Drew more time on the ball, as uh, Kevin is saying, put Etuan back at the two, and you have Darius at the three maybe as your starting group with Cousins and uh, Davis, and then your second unit point guard becomes Clark, and you're running Clark as your two, continuing to, and then, I mean, Clark as your, as your point, moving Drew off the ball then and letting him, um, you know, shoot more. And then you can play some Etuan at the three then with your second unit and still have that scoring out there. And like you said, play Darius as a, as a four at a small ball lineup. I think they could be more effective that way. And you're mitigating some of those defensive failures because Dante's been awful defensively this year. Um, and I think, you know, Darius can get better. And Darius also brings something that Dante doesn't have to the table, the ability to pump fake, get into the lane. And he's also shown the ability to be a willing passer and a solid passer. So I think there are some lineup changes that would improve the the play somewhat. But again, yeah, even even then you're just kind of rearranging the chairs. And, and at the peak, this team is probably a seven seed. So um, I don't know if there's a lot of flexibility to make this team better. You're pretty much forced to ride this thing out over the, over the last 40, so uh, 44 games of the season. Kevin, why don't you continue with that thought? Uh, We only have about 10 minutes left and I I do want to preview some of our upcoming games with you guys. So just take about a minute for us with the roster as it is currently constructed with Solomon Hill, potentially coming back in the next two months and uh, Tony Allen probably coming back in the next two to three weeks. Uh, Do, do some lineup adjustments as well. Uh, Obviously Etwan Moore got taken a task by Andrew Wiggins last night, Uh, just being a a smaller player. I think he stands at about six foot four. How would you construct the roster around what the Pelicans have to help improve uh, the defensive side of the floor? Well, I mean, I think uh, David and I had basically the same lineup in mind, you know, we cut the roll out there to start. Um, Drew, Etwan, Darius, AD, and Cousins. And then you can bring Rondo off the bench or you could bring Ian Clark off the bench. But obviously, I agree with David, too, that, that Jameer – I mean, I remember we had that podcast right after the Memphis uh, preseason loss where we looked awful. And and that was when people were starting to talk about Jameer uh, coming here. And, and I said, if Jameer Nelson is the answer, then the question is terrible because – like he's he's average at best, and sure, I think a lot of people wanted him to be the savior because they they suggested him uh, coming over to the Pelicans. So in the early week, he had a couple of good games, and everybody's like, "Oh, he's the savior of the season." And now we're just seeing what Jameer Nelson is. I mean, he's average. He's an average level player at best who has a lot of deficiencies. I mean, he's he's really small. He can't he can't stop these bigger guards that the league has trended towards. Um, and he's not, and when his shot's not falling, he's basically useless. It's the same with, uh, with Dante Cunningham. If he's not scoring, if he's not hitting the open, uh, the open three corner three, then he's useless to you because this year, for some reason, he's not showing any semblance of defense. He's rebounding a little bit better, but I don't know how much of that is, is actually, it's just maybe the increase in pace and the number of possessions he's out there. But I mean, he does seem like he's doing better on the glass for sure. Um, but yeah, you just tinker with the lineup some, and you know, you play Darius more at the four because I mean, you might be giving up size there, but you weren't getting any defensive stoppage from Dante Cunningham anyway. So at least Darius is stretching the defender. He's a, he's a really good playmaker and he's been a good on ball defender. I've seen him like guard pretty well, uh, on ball, you know, now making switches and adjustments and getting lost in picks and screens is, is another thing, but you know, at least if you're given the on-ball effort, that's, you know, you're, you're given more than what Dante was given. He's been a huge disappointment so far this year. And, uh, you know, Ian Clark, again, I wasn't I, I wasn't mad at the signing at all. Like, I, I think he's a fine player, but I wasn't, like, super excited about it. I, I think initially people thought he was the kind of guy that was going to get, like, a $6 million a year deal and and when we were talking about that being a possibility, I did not want that to happen. But once we signed him for a minimum, I was like, cool. And uh, like he, he, I wasn't expecting a lot out of him, but he's been giving me more than what I expected when he's out there. And I think he's earned more minutes, definitely more than, uh, than Jameer Nelson. So having him on the, the floor more should be a positive as well. And you just sort of uh, go with tighter rotations. Um, 
until you get Hill back. And once you get Hill back, that will also give you another piece that you could play at the three or at the four in small ball situations that helps run your defense. And that's why I don't think they're going to make a trade just because they don't have the ammo to do it or or if they do have the ammo to do it, it's just sacrifice. It's going to be sacrificing too much of the future for what you're actually getting back. But there are ways to just change the way that we're playing that would fix a lot of the problems. And then again, that points back to why aren't we doing this and who's the person who can make these calls? And that is Alvin Gentry. So is he the right person going forward? Um, that's for everyone to decide. Okay, we're pretty much out of time. Kevin, uh, before we get to our very quick previews, uh, let's, let's, okay, let's say you get a phone call right now from uh, Cleveland Cavaliers GM and they offer you that Brooklyn pick is on the table along with Tristan Thompson and some version of, uh, I don't know, Jeff Green for Ian Clark and DeMarcus Cousins and a second round pick. At this point in time, do you say yes? No, I don't say, I say no. David? No, I don't like the money that you're taking, taking on with those two guys. I, I, I think it, that's just as bad. All right. Thought I'd ask. Um, all right. So coming up, we've got the Detroit Pistons. We've got the Memphis Grizzlies and we've got the Trailblazers. Two of these three games are at home. We have five minutes left, David. So uh, actually I'll start with Kevin. Uh, Kevin, who do you are, are, are give us a, a win loss record for these three games. First of all, the Pistons are at home. The Grizzlies are in Memphis and the Blazers are in new Orleans on Friday. I think we go two and one in in that order. Um, I think we beat the Pistons. Uh, they've been kind of up and down and inconsistent uh, since uh, Reggie Jackson got hurt. And I think uh, you know they're they're vulnerable. Um, and I think if this team doesn't come out with fire, then then I don't know what can fire them up. And then they should definitely if they don't come out with first half energy in that game, then they should fire Alvin Gentry at halftime because. There's just something needs to happen. You know, somebody needs to be sacrificed. That, that's just how it is. And then uh, Grizzlies, um, you know, I think Tyreek's going to definitely uh, have reason to try to uh, kill us and put up a really big game. Um, I think it's going to be closer than it should be, but I think we're going to ultimately we'll, we'll win that contest. And then uh, Portland's always a tough team for us, and I, I just think uh, we got them. The last time, and I think our luck's going to run out on that end. I just think they're going to outshoot us, and and uh, that's it. I think we're uh, not going to be able to hang with them. David, what about you? I'm I'm a little bit more concerned about the Pistons game. I don't know if they'll lose it or not, but you know the one thing that the Pistons do really well is rebound, um, and those second chance opportunities for them are going to be uh, huge. And I think Tobias uh, Harris is going to be a problem. Uh, for the Pelicans. So if, if he gets hot, uh, of course, if they don't keep uh, Andre Drummond off the glass, um, but they should win that game. It's a, you know, you're coming home. Like you, like Kevin said, if they don't come out with energy for that game, then I, I agree. I mean, it, it shows that this team is, is completely lost and I don't know how they find their way back. Memphis is a game that they should absolutely win. Uh, they seem to be completely dysfunctional at this point. Um, and then, with Portland, yeah, it's it's tough um, just because in each of the two Portland games, one of the guards has been horribly off. Uh, so you figure at one point uh, Lillard and McCollum have to have put a complete game together um, and, and and go off. So I would I would put that as the most likely loss of the three, with the Pistons being a toss up for me. All right. I want to thank uh, the questions that we got from our, our listeners. Uh, some guys we didn't get to, Phelps, Lot, Solomon, Eagles, uh, 2001. Uh, we mentioned their questions or the general ideas around their questions, but apologize for not reading it straight off of Twitter. Uh, all right, guys, that's it for now, Pelicans fans. Enjoy the Saints game. It's going to be a big one. Uh, Manny Fresh has already started DJing. I'm coming at you guys from... 409 Eastern. So if you are in New Orleans, make sure you check that out. Um, it's obviously a tough time to be a Pelicans fan, but for those of you idiots who just keep watching like us, be sure to check back later in the week. Uh, the Pelicans may have abandoned you guys this season, but we on the Bird Calls podcast will not. With all that being said, the Pelicans are bound to bounce back. This is what they do. They lose a couple in spectacular fashion, then they come back and impress you. So I do expect uh, some positive basketball in the next couple of games. As these guys have just said, getting back up above 500 
And ultimately, if we get to a seventh seed, at least we're in the playoffs. And uh, it'll, it'll be the third time in, in eight years. So uh, certainly not mad about that. But for now, thank you guys for listening. My name is Preston Ellis. Thank you uh, to David Grubb. Follow him at DM Grubb and Crescent City Sports. Kevin is at Kevin B for Bounce. Make sure you go to thebirdrights.com. There's excellent stuff from Ollie and from Kevin. By the way, shout out to Ollie. Feel better, my friend. He is not feeling well today. And let's get out of here. Um, go Saints, and let's bounce back, Pelicans. Thank you for listening to The Bird Rice on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. If you like what you're hearing, take one minute to go to iTunes. Search The Bird Rice, subscribe, and rate our podcast today. Let's go, Pels. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Your home is important. That's why GEICO helps make it easy to save on condo insurance. Because home is more than just a place. Home is where you took minimalism too far because there's only one chair in your entire condo and your only entertainment is one card. Not even a deck of cards, but a single card. And all your guests have to share one plate and one fork, but you're convinced that less stuff means more freedom. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the overly minimalist broom closet you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on condo insurance. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.